Hey, grab your Bibles and open to Mark's Gospel, Gospel of Mark. We've been learning some things about this Gospel. Does, can anyone tell me something that we've learned about the Gospel itself so far? Louder? It is fast. Who said that? Okay, Tom, Tom I didn't even sound... I, my head is all blocked up. I'm, I got this... Uh, some type of sinus thing going on. So now I not only can I not see, I can't hear anymore either. So I'll be in next Sunday with my seeing eye dog, I'm afraid, or something. Yeah, it's quick. It's a I mean, he doesn't he's he's it's the reader's digest version of the gospels. Yes, thank you. I'm glad somebody called. It's the first one that was written. And then Matthew and 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 Luke borrowed a lot from uh, Mark's gospel. Pretty close after. And then they wrote theirs. Ninety percent of Mark's content shows up in the others, so they're they're very very similar. You're going to learn something new about the Gospel of Mark this week. So let's go. Who wrote it? John Mark. Yeah, you hear about him later. In the, it's the same kid, same young man. We think of him as young because he was young when he went. He, he was he was younger when even when he wrote this Gospel. Possibly the son of Peter. Uh, I personally think he he was. Uh, if not, he was a spiritual son, and Peter definitely discipled him. He spent a lot of time with Peter. Um, so all that is what we've learned about Mark's gospel itself. And it, it starts fast. Tom said it's a fast gospel. The word immediately shows up 17 times. Uh, it's going to feel like they all that word shows up 17 times in the first chapter. It doesn't, but it's a lot. We're going to see it again. Um, it's quick moving. Not a lot of details. It portrays Jesus as the great servant. Um, and, and it help, helps us. It's written to Roman people, Roman Christians, mostly Gentiles, a few Jews. It actually has Latin words in it because it's written to Romans um, who spoke Latin. So there's actually Latin words. The only gospel has Latin words in it. And Jewish uh, rituals in the Old Testament are actually explained. He explains them in here. Now, Mark's a good Jew, but he explains it because of who he's writing to. So the title of this sermon is Jesus' First Sermon, because this is the first recorded sermon that we have of Jesus. And I, I hate, I got to thinking about that as the title. I was like, what was my first sermon? I think my first official sermon, I think I do remember it. It was horrible. <laughs> it really was. Uh, I, I had totally stolen an outline from a famous preacher of the day. And, and, and as I thought about it, now I think about it now, I shudder. I would never bring that sermon to the pulpit. It was completely unexegetical. Uh, it was what we call sermonization. And that's what I, that's what, that was what kind of the cool thing to do when I was coming up. It's you sermonize, you take, you take a text and then you spiritualize it and make it say something that had nothing to do with the text, right? And this was a great spiritualized sermon by one of the great spiritualizers of, of my young days, and I preached his sermon. Now, I heard that guy preach that sermon. It took him an hour and a half. I preached his hour and a half sermon in 10 minutes, <laughs> and I had nothing left. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said, advice to his young young preachers was to keep your sermons keep them written keep them keep them in a file he says so that later on you may go back and read them and weep 
I was listening to a, a phenomenal series. I, I, it's, it's so old, it's on CDs. I need to figure out how to get it. I need to download it digitally so I can keep it. From Adrian Rogers, it was a series of five days that he spent with 20 pastors. And my dear friend got to go to that. And I'm so jealous. Adrian's with the Lord now. Tremendous Baptist preacher. And in this, one of these 20 guys in a Q&A raises his hand and says, uh, Pastor Rogers, is, is it, are, are you okay with us preaching your sermons? And typical Adrian Rogers, he says, son, if that bullet will fit in your gun, go ahead and shoot. <laughs> but here to this morning, uh, we're going to look at the very first recorded sermon of Jesus. And it should sound really familiar to you from Mark chapter 1. So I'm not the only one that plagiarized somebody else's sermon. And I'm not accusing Jesus of plagiarism. I actually think the content of his sermon was a nod of agreement to John the Baptist's message. So I want you to join me this morning as we unpack the first sermon of Jesus, the great servant, together. And the first thing I'd like you to see in your outline this morning is the timing. Hopefully everybody's got an outline out there. Um, you're going to want that. There's, a, there's something on the back of it that's going to help you here in just a minute. Um, actually, it's going to help you like in just a second uh, as we talk about the timing. Um, and here's the big thing about it. Last week we talked about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. From Mark's perspective, which, which again, it's the Reader's Digest, he hits the highlights. And I think his point there in last week's discovery, the reason he doesn't go into the details that we get when they're wonderful details in, in, in Matthew and Luke, and the reason Mark never goes into it is, because, is for several reasons, but the biggest one is he wanted to show, if you look at just what Mark says about the temptation of Christ, what you see is this radical, unflinching obedience of the great servant. So he was trying to get across the, the, the complete obedience of, of the servant king um, to the father. And we saw that unpacked beautifully. Now this week, we're in verse 14, and I'll encourage you to go there, and let's just read that together. Now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching, and if you have your own Bible, please underline this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, here's his sermon, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That, that sermon sound familiar to somebody? If you look next door or in, in, the, in the column to the left, you'll see John's sermon and it's the exact same thing. Right? That's our text for today. But here's what you need to know about the timing of this. And it's on the back of your outline this morning. Sam, I think there's a picture up there. I don't know that's going to be helpful <coughs> because of how small it is. But on the back of that outline, I want you to notice something. There is, there's a year missing in the history between verse 13 and verse 14. It's a whole year. Matthew don't, doesn't talk about it, and neither does Luke. Again, they borrow from Mark's gospel, right? 
This picture should be on the back of your outline if I did it right. Um, so if Matthew doesn't talk about it and Luke doesn't talk about it, what's the only gospel that's left? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then what? Thank, thank God for John, right? John gives us the whole first year's ministry of Jesus, and it was fairly low-key uh, with one exception. Kept it under the radar. Um, but from John chapter 1 through John chapter 4, verse 4, I think it's 125 to 4, verse 4, is the whole, it's often called the Judean ministry of Christ. He spent some time in Judea, which I'm going to show you that in a minute. I'm going to show you a map. It's super important to understand. Just a little bit of geography is going to help you to know what's going on here. Um, this, is, this is his first ministry. Here's what's not included. And it's good to know there's this big gap in here. So here's what's not included. The first introduction of John and Peter, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel to Jesus' ministry. Now, the call that we're going to look at in the next verses come later. So, so Jesus was introduced to these guys. And he had interaction with them before he ever calls Peter to follow him, which we're going to see in the next verses. Right? So he's already had this interaction with them within his first year. It's, it's at the beginning of the second year of his ministry that he calls Peter to follow him. Isn't that interesting? I want you to have a biblical timeline in your mind so you're an informed follower of Jesus. Here's a big thing that you miss. You miss Jesus' first miracle. If it weren't for John, we'd never have it. And that's in Cana at the wedding. Remember that? I know and a lot of good Baptists struggle with that one. The wine runs out and Jesus makes more. Come on, folks. He does. And not only do good Baptists struggle with that, his own cousin John struggled with that. Right? He's like, that report gets back to John, and John says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ask him, go back to him and say, are you the one, or should we expect somebody else? <laughs> See, because John's theology and Jesus' actions didn't line up. Right? So, so can I hit the pause button here? When your theology and God's move doesn't line up, how about you move a God and let him do you some teaching? Amen? So we missed the wedding at Cana. I like to call that the mom miracle. As Jesus' mom says, hey, we got a problem here. And Jesus says, what are you, mom, what are you doing? It's not my time yet. And she just, just turns to the servants and says, whatever he says, just do it. <laughs> and she leaves. I love that. I love that. And so Jesus turns, transforms the water in, into wine. All I'm saying there is I hope at the marriage supper of the Lamb, some of that wine's there. I just, I've always wondered how good that's going to be. Um, and those of you that turn your nose up at that thought, I'll have yours. <laughs> All right. It'll be fine then. Um, number three is the first cleansing of the temple in Jerusalem. By the way, how many of you realize that happened twice? Jesus didn't do that just one time. Now, now that's the only really like big public thing that he did is overturn the temple, but it was still kind of low-key. People weren't entirely sure who this crazy guy was. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, he made, he made, he made a, 
a whip out of some 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 cords. I mean, he wasn't playing. But but even that, Jesus wasn't very Jesus Jesus was still kind of unheard of. Just this crazy guy came in there and kicked everybody out and turned tables over. Um, and then we we get the I like to call that chapter three of John Nick at night. We got Nicodemus that comes to Jesus at night, and all that happens within this. And, and then there's the Passover, and the Passover is where he turns tables over in Jerusalem. And because of that, right, he's just done a really public thing, and and you can imagine the whole religious community not too happy with whoever this guy is, and they're looking for him. And so Jesus heads back to Galilee, which is in the north. He gets out of town. Right? It takes three days, because they they're only walking, to get from Jerusalem to North Galilee, where he's going to be. And that's if you go through Samaria, which Jesus did more than once. Good Jews would cross the Jordan River, which was a pain. Walk, walk on the other side of the river, which was very, even though there were pathways, it was rough country. A very steep grade coming down from those mountains on the uh, eastern side. It took two extra days, so it's a five-day trip. But they hated the Samaritans so much they wouldn't go through their area. But Jesus, Jesus often went through Samaria. So that's everything that you've missed in the time. And he celebrated, by the way, the Passovers are important. They are anchor keys to the ministry of Jesus on earth. Those three years. Year one's already happened. Passover, turn the tables over, got to get out of Jerusalem. We head back north. And now, verse 14 begins. Are you all with me? Why don't you see that, that, that part of the timing? All right. Then I want you to see the transition. All right. It says, now after John was put into prison. After John was put into prison. So at this time, John is incarcerated. Um, and he lands in Herod's, Herod's um, prison. Here's the reality. John is the last Old Testament prophet. Do you all realize that? He is the last one. And Jesus is kind of this transition prophet, really. Because the New Testament doesn't really truly begin until Acts chapter 2. Once the Holy Spirit drops on Pentecost, the new, the new covenant comes into full flourishing effect. And when those guys stood on that mount of transfiguration and watched Jesus ascend up into those clouds, listen to me, listen to me, they watched the Old Testament go away. And, if, and 10 days later, they watched the New Testament show up through the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, right? So, so, so here's what's happening. God had to get, take John, and, and John had fulfilled his ministry. He had done what God had literally created him to do, and God takes John and takes him out of the way. There's this weird transition in chat, the end of chapter 3 of John. Just jot that down here. John chapter 3, where Jesus and his disciples are at the Jordan baptizing, and just south, just north of them, actually, John and his disciples are baptizing, and it gets all confused. And they're like, okay, who should we follow? And they go to John, and they say, hey, hey, not for nothing, but 
your cousin's up there and he's baptizing more people than you're baptizing. What are we going to do about that? And John has this most beautiful, what a spirit-filled man he was. He said, hey, that's great. It's not about me. It's about him. Right? He's the bridegroom. The, the, the best man rejoices with the bridegroom. We're not in competition with each other. And then right after that, he gets arrested. Um, so they have this brief overlap. But if you want to write it down, it's in John 3, 22 to 35. And then shortly after that section in John, um, John the Baptist, this is John the disciple, two different guys. John Baptist is arrested, and he is arrested, listen to this, for speaking truth to power. That's what I'm asking you to do with those phone numbers. John is arrested for speaking truth to power, and he calls Herod out on his wickedness and having his brother's wife. And actually, it's the brother's wife that doesn't like it. And so Herod has him arrested, and she waits for the opportunity and ultimately gets it and has that troublesome preacher executed. So John's in jail. He's in prison. So that's the transition. And, and let, me, let me, everybody look here. That first year of the ministry of Jesus was really low key, the exception of the flipping tables. And again, that's kind of what caused him through the Holy Spirit to get out of there. He had to go back north um, to where he was from. Very low key. Now he begins his actual public ministry, and it doesn't really start in earnest until John is in prison and off the scene. Now we see this great transition time to number three, the teaching. What does he say? So John's in prison, and the Bible says Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The first thing I want you to see under the teaching is the place. Where does he go? He goes to Galilee of all places. He ends up going back home into Galilee. Now, Galilee is in the northern part of Palestine. All right? And it is very much looked down upon by the Judean Jews. The vast majority of Jews lived in Judea. Sam, I think there's a map I put up there. Yep. I don't know if that's going to be helpful to you. Those of you in the front row could see it. Um, but you see that tan part down there, that's Judea. You see Bethlehem's there where Jesus is born, but the most important city that's there is Jerusalem. And by the way, nothing good happens to Jesus in Jerusalem. <laughs> We're going to find that at the end of Mark's Gospel. Um, but that's the main part of Palestine, right? All of the, the vast majority, they say some 85 to 90 percent of, of Jews actually lived in that province of Judea. And when Judea, when you think of Judea, these provinces think like Bibb County, right? So think counties or provincial areas, and then there's cities within that. And then up north, there's that little blue there, that's Samaria, and then up north there in that pink, that's Galilee. All right, and that's where Jesus is from. Now, there's a problem between Galilee and Judea is Samaria. 
And no good Jew would ever step foot into Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. And, and, and it went the other way too. The Samaritans just as much hated the Jews. They were the ones that kind of sold out uh, several hundred years earlier um, to the invading forces. They intermingled with the people. So they're kind of a half-breed race and the Jews hated them. And they just as much hated the Jews. And so the Jews despised them so much that they wouldn't even go through their land, their province. They would cross the river and walk up that Perean province, which was horrible hiking. Added two extra days to their trip, but they would do it just despite the Samaritans. But then you had the Gal Galilee up there in the north. Now here's the problem. The, the, it, was, it was called by the southern Jews Galilee of the Gentiles, which was a slang and a slur to the Jews who lived there. There were a lot of Gentiles there. It, it kind of, if you looked at, if you could look further north, the whole world kind of funnels down into Galilee. And what that means is all the trade, a lot of the trade routes came right through Galilee. And the, and the Jewish folks that lived there had a, couldn't help it. They had a lot of interaction with Gentiles. And there was a lot of business financially that was done with the Gentiles. And as a result, the conservative Jews in, this, in Judea looked down their noses at what they considered the liberal Jews in Galilee because they had so much interaction with non-Jewish people. But there was no prejudice in the first century whatsoever. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Aren't you glad to know that they dealt with some of the same stupidity that we do in our, in our culture today, right? There's nothing new under the sun, amen? So there's the place... Galilee looked down on, that's why you, you'll see in John's gospel when Philip goes and gets Nathaniel and say, hey, we found him. We, we got the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. Nazareth. Nazareth. In Galilee? Nathaniel says to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why? Because Nathaniel's a good Judean Jew. No way God's bringing his Messiah out of Galilee. And Nazareth of Galilee, that's the worst city in all Galilee. No way. And then he has a change of mind. So this is, this, is, this is the where. Jesus would begin his public ministry and preaching in this province. And this is interesting. He would actually spend the majority of his ministry there in the northern province of Galilee. Most of his preaching and teaching that we, we have and his miracles are recorded in Galilee, and specifically in the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in a beautiful town called Capernaum. And it is like Club Med. It is gorgeous. And um, that's a little town where Peter lived. He's going to rerun into Peter here in the next verses. So this, this, is, it. this is it. This is where Jesus is going to launch it. He's been, he's been keeping it under the radar. Now he's ready to go public with his first sermon. So that's the place. Let's look at number, letter B, the proclamation. All right, the proclamation. Comes down to Jesus came to Galilee preaching, preaching, preaching. He is preaching. That word preaching, the Greek word for preaching means to proclaim, to tell, often urging the acceptance of the message. So it's an urgent Warning of consequences for not accepting the message. It is a passionate plea to adjust 
your actions and your beliefs according to the sermon, according to the message that the messenger is bringing. That's what this word preach means. It's a proclamation. So Jesus comes with a proclamation. Now notice what he's proclaiming. Preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom of God. First of all is that word the gospel. And again, it's a good churchy word, right? We hear the gospel. And if I ask you what that meant, we would get as many definitions as we have people here today. Right? And I hope to clear that up for us so that we all are saying the same thing about the gospel. Amen? It's the most important thing in the world. Did you know that word gospel is a transliteration? In other words, it's, it's a word um, from the Greek that we didn't even bother to translate. We just took the English trans the English. A transliteration of it, which is gospel. The Greek word is euangelion. The way you say that in English is gospel, and we didn't even bother translating it. But what it actually means, and I think we forget this sometimes, because we have all these definitions flying around in our mind, right, of this Sunday school word is this. The word gospel literally means glad tidings, joyful news. Now, is that what you think of when you think of gospel? It's joyful news. It's glad tidings. What's the last glad tidings you got? What's the last great news that came to you? Huh? Okay, so Ben uh, somehow wiggled his way into going out to Camp Eunice this weekend. I came back from his ball game very sick, and I had to get to bed immediately. I was going to take him out there that night, but I was too sick. I said, we'll go in the morning. I wake up in the morning, bright and early. And I normally, praise God, he's so kind to me. I can sleep off anything. And I woke up feeling like I was going to make it. And I said, good, I'm up early. I'm going to go get Ben. There's no Ben. Now, there's about three different places this kid falls asleep. Rarely is it in any kind of bed. Um, so I checked all of the Ben's sleeping places. No Ben. So I, I, I went go back into my room, and I wake up my wife I said where is Ben she goes oh he got a ride to camp last night so he he got somebody to pick him up and take him out to camp at 10 o'clock at night so he could hang out with his buddies but that was good news to you until we found out how he got there but that's another story right <laughs> and we won't tell that here but if you'd like to know ask him <laughs> I would really like that but it's okay you got to go hang out with your and you did it was wonderful and I got to go in the morning. I love hanging out with those brothers. That's good. Good news. I get to go be with my brothers in Christ and have a great time. Some of, the, some of the glad tidings we got, not terrible long ago, is that we got a sixth grandchild on the way. That's going to get here March 31st. And apparently it's a girl. We still don't know the name. I guess we'll find out when she's born. But that's our Texas kids down there and out there in Texas. So that was glad tidings. That's good news, right? Do we think of the gospel that way? You know, if we, really, if we really thought or believed or had this perceptual set that this is good news, wouldn't we be telling everybody? We watched Nabil's story this morning. A Muslim grew up in a very faithful Muslim home in, 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 uh, here in the United States. And he runs into two people, one in high school, who's the first person to share the gospel with him. And he was ready. And he, and he just dismantled this, all this girl's 
arguments until he met another guy in college named David who actually had answers for his arguments. And David, over a period of four years, continues to share the gospel and show Nabil that Jesus really is the Messiah. He really did die on that cross and was raised again for him, right? If we really believed that, we would be like David. We would be, we would be sharing the gospel with people because it's good news, you know? You go to a restaurant, go to a new, try a new restaurant out, right? Say, man, this, this is great. What do you do? Yeah. No, what you people do is you go on Facebook and you tell everybody. Well, why aren't we doing that with the gospel? It's great tidings. And that's when Jesus comes and he's preaching the glad tidings of great joy of what? The gospel. And now there's two qualifying phrases here. Um, and they are prepositional phrases. They all both start with of. Of the kingdom of God. All right, so this is clarifying information. What is this good news about? This good news is about, first of all, a kingdom, and that kingdom belongs to who? To God. So Jesus is bringing these glad tidings about something called the kingdom that belongs to, you got it? So what is the, what is the kingdom? Well, very simply put, and they would understand this, this his, his hearers would very much understand this concept. The kingdom is very simply this. You should write this down. It is the rule and the reign, and in this case, of God. That's a kingdom. The rule and reign of a king, and in this instance, of God himself. So Jesus comes preaching, good news! The rule and the reign of God is here. And you all have been waiting for it for, for hundreds of years. And it's here. The rule and the reign of God. That's what Jesus is preaching. That's the proclamation. Jesus came boldly proclaiming the glad tidings and the joyful news of the rule and the reign of God. Now I want to ask you a question. Here's an application question. The idea of God ruling and reigning in and over your life, can I ask you a question? Does that strike you as good news today? It should, but, but you're right, but does it? Is that good news to you? Because I, I, I got a news flash for you, and I want you to hear this. If it's really not, and if you can be honest, say, yeah, you know, that doesn't do anything for me. You're not in the kingdom yet. I'm just going to say that right there. You're, it's because you're, you're not a citizen of that kingdom. So how do I become one? Great question. That's, that's the points of Jesus' message. Right? Let's look at those real quick. Here's the points. Letter C. And under letter C, I have two main thoughts. And the first is the reality. Now Jesus comes preaching this, the good news of the kingdom of God and saying here, boy, you talk about a short preacher. He, he's not a long preacher like me. Although he's going to preach a really long sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. <laughs> a really, and that's, that's, if you want to get your toes stepped on and get your feelings hurt, go, go read that sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. I retitled it the Sermon of the Ouch. Uh, 
So the old preacher said, you say amen or ouch. I said a lot of ouching when you read that. It's tough, right? But this sermon's pretty simple. And notice the first thing he says, I just call this the reality. The reality. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is up. It is fulfilled. That's the reality. Time's up. What does it mean to be fulfilled? Uh, oftentimes in prophecy of the Christ, of the Messiah who is coming, um, physical terms, physical concepts were used here. And this is actually a very physical uh, word. It's, it's like our, our daughter-in-law. Her, her time is almost fulfilled, which means that soon, when it is fulfilled, what's going to happen? That little girl is going to come into the world. That little baby is going to come into the world. It's a pregnancy term. And it's used all throughout the, the, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And Jesus says, hey, hey, the kingdom's born. It's here. It's here. You've been waiting. You know, the whole world's been in labor this whole time. And now the kingdom is finally shown up. Time is up. Galatians 4, 4, jot that down in your outline. I think that's on the screen, please. Maybe. Galatians 4, 4. There we go. But when the fullness of time had come, there's that word again, right? How many of you ladies remember when that fullness of time came for you, right? You know, it's time to get to the hospital. And for us husbands, that's a very scary time. Um, fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And notice this, born under what? A law. Jesus came under the Old Testament, lived under the Old Testament, suffered and died under the Old Testament. Began the transition into the New Testament with his resurrection. Took it further with his ascension, completed it with the sending of the Holy Spirit. Right? So that's the reality. And then letter B is that God's kingdom is here. Time is up. And then it says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Literally, it's right as close as your hands. It's in your hands. Why? Because the kingdom, the rule and reign of God showed up in the person of who, church? Jesus, the Messiah. That's how John opens his very fast gospel. In verse number one, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. They, they know exactly, his readers know exactly who Jesus is. The people we're talking about here didn't yet. The people this is written about, these stories, these historical events, these folks were figuring it out. The readers of Mark's gospel had, the, had that wonderful privilege of already knowing who Jesus is, these Roman Christians, right? The kingdom's here. By the way, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but here's a thought. Can I just say this? I grew up in a tradition that said, that had the concept that the kingdom, the real kingdom of God, would not come in, in, in its trueness until the return of Christ to the earth sometime in the future. And then they couldn't get past the fact that all Jesus, 
All Jesus preached was the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, and it's here with me. And they say, yeah, that's really inconsistent for us to say that it's, gonna, it's coming. So then they came up with this idea of the already, not yet. Well, yeah, it's already here, but not really. And when they say already, not yet, is they really focus on the not yet, right? Is the fullness of the kingdom here right now? No, but it's fuller than what you're thinking. That's what I want to say. It's more here than not here. Because we use the fact that, well, you know what, we're just, we're just going to sit soaking sour and we're going to let the world just go do what it's going to do and destroy itself so then Jesus is going to come back and fix it all. That is not what was taught in the first century to those first believers. They were taught the kingdom's here, we're in it, we're expanding it. And yes, Jesus is coming back at any moment. They thoroughly believe that. Okay, so I believe the kingdom is here right now, and we're in it. So, so that begs one more question, one more question, that's the response. How do we get in that kingdom? And that's what John was preaching. And by the way, that's why his sermon sounds really familiar. You're going to see it right here. It's exactly what Jesus preached. It's exactly what John preached. The kingdom of God, is the rule and reign of God is here. The kingdom's here. So how do I get in that kingdom? And that was Jesus' message. Here is how entry to the entrance to the kingdom is fulfilled. And look at it. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And here's his main point. Repent and believe in this good news. Repent and believe. And that word repent, that Greek word you see on the screen is metanoia. It's two Greek words actually. Meta means to uh, change and noia means to think. It's, it's, it's the word for your the, the function of your mind. In other words, change your mind, change your thinking. Have a or allow allow a change, invite a change in thinking into your life. What were they needing to change their thinking about their sin? Right. Repentance is always connected with sin. Change your mind. Change your mind about the way you're living. God's here. His rule and reign is here. Wake up, people. It's time to think differently about how you're getting your needs met. Stop scamming people. Stop being a relational terrorist. Repent. Change your thinking. And by the way, when your thinking changes, what changes next? Your actions, right? Don't ever, don't ever let your kids get away with saying, oh, I did that without thinking. No, you didn't. You've never done anything without thinking. Thinking is, is what got, gets us into trouble. It's the way that we think. So we need to repent. We need to have this change of thinking. But then Jesus adds to this, repent and what? Believe. Believe what? This good news. Believe the gospel. So this is really important here. And I appreciate the very few scholars that got this right, in my opinion. When we hear gospel, we think death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, right? Gospel. Had Jesus died yet? Had he been buried yet? Had he resurrected yet? Had he ascended yet? You're very good scholars. You're already, you're already smarter than 90% of the books I read this week. Okay? No! 
What did Jesus tell them to believe? Yes, believe the good news that I am the Messiah. I'm the one. I am the king. I am the one talked about from Genesis all the way to Malachi. I'm the guy. That's what you believe. I am he. So you repent. You turn away from your sin. You have a change of mind about your sin. You repent. You seek that forgiveness of God. You let God clean up your life. And by the way, I just want to make this clear. I don't want to ever be fuzzy about this. Repentance is a gift of God. I have wanted to repent before, right? But until God gives me the ability to repent, it's never going to happen. It's just not. So what should I do? You should seek it anyway. Ask. And you will be given, right? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. you let me tell you something. You move in God's direction and I, I promise you, God will move heaven and earth to grant you what you need. Amen? Do y'all believe that this morning? Move towards God. Well, I shouldn't even bother repenting unless, because God will give me the gift. It ain't going to happen. Listen, move towards God and watch what he moves to give you what you need to do what he wants you to do. Amen. I just believe that. Right? Seek repentance and you watch. You're going to find it. Amen. Yeah, we, and we need to do that. But we also need to believe. That's the flip side of the coin. What do we believe? That Jesus is, he's the one. That's all they need to believe. You're the one. You're the one we've been longing for. You're the one we've been naming all of our boys Yeshua for, which was Jesus' name, number one name for Jewish boys in the first century. Which, by the way, Jesus ruined that name. Jesus ruined that name for good Jews because they knew who he was and he messed up everything for them. So they're not going to name their boys that anymore. And Jesus ruined that name for good followers of the way. That was the name of the first church. For good Christians, because they so revered Jesus that they reserved that name for him alone. And very quickly, the name of Jesus falls off the map in Jewish circles. Isn't that interesting? And we're to believe. What's that mean? To place faith into. We're to say, yep, he's the one. He's the one. I believe it. I believe it. And it's not just the intellectual assent. It's more than that. It's, it's believing into the name of Jesus. We're believing that he is the one with a new heart, a new desire, a new thinking, a repentance, and a belief. And those things come together. Oh, but there's a third part, and I can't get to it till next week. But I'm going to give you a hint. It's in the next section, verses 16 through 20. Go find it. It's never preached in the gospel, but I think it's an integral part of the good news. There's a repentance, a turning away, and a turning to, a changing of the mind. There's a belief. I think that changes your heart. Right? He's the answer. Then there is another call to action. And you're going to find it in those verses. We're going to talk about that next week. But to close out today, I just want to ask you, have you repented and believed the gospel? Like, really, he is worth it. Now, the gospel that we believe today, the good news that we believe today, is a little more fleshed out, right? These people, 
as we say in the, in the South, bless their hearts. <laughs> By the way, we got some, some guests today, for, and, and they're from the North. There are people. See, Jesus was from the North, too, so we're in really good company. Galilee's in the North. So us Northerners are good folks. Just ask us, Mike, we'll tell you. <laughs> took me a long time down here in the South to realize when they say, bless your heart, they're not being nice to you. That means you're stupid. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. <laughs> when these people believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and I think a lot of them really did, and they really did turn from their sin, they believed that Jesus was the Christ, but what they believed the Christ came to do was very different than what he actually came to do. They were looking for him to free them from the oppression of Rome. It was all physical to them. Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom. And they were never going to understand that until Pentecost. By the way, are you glad God puts up with your lack of understanding? I was reading it this week and it made me want to laugh and cry at the same time. There, there's this cool scene at the Mount of Ascension. It's like the last time these these disciples are going to have Jesus until they see him face to face in uh, what I think is a new Jerusalem current heaven. And you know what the last thing they ask him is? So uh, you're going to restore the kingdom now, right? <laughs> the physical kingdom to Israel. They're still thinking, still thinking physical. I love what... Uh, the, the old Scottish preacher, um, not Alistair Begg. Who's the other one, Paul? It is Alistair Begg. It is Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg said this about those, those disciples. He said, if I was Jesus, I would have fired them all and I would have started over with the ladies. Because the women understood. <laughs> Fella, this guy's, the last thing they say to him is, you're gonna, the physical kingdom's coming now, right? Now you're going to come back with some angels. We're going to wipe them Romans out, right? And Jesus says, just go back to Jerusalem and don't do anything until the Holy Spirit shows up. And you know what's neat? The Holy Spirit shows up and that talk of physical kingdoms never returns. You never hear one of them talk about it again. That's why Jesus said, I really need to go away. I've done everything I can do with you people. <laughs> you need an inside job. And I'm an outside guy. So I'm going to send my spirit, give you an inside job, and then your ignorance is going to be informed, and you're never going to, you're never going to worry about that again. And that's where we are today. Amen? Have, have you repented? And have you truly believed to put your faith in this king? If not, you need to do that today. I implore you to do that today. Seek his face, move towards him, and watch what he moves to give you what you need to honor him. That's the God we serve. Would you stand with me?